Hello and welcome to JP Morgan's At Any Rate podcast. I'm Meera Chandan, co-head of FX Strategy. And today I'm joined by uh, my two colleagues, Asad Siddiqui and James Nelligan uh, from uh, Emerging Markets and uh, European FX uh, Strategy, respectively. So we're going to talk about two things today. Um, first, uh, within the FX space, uh, there is a growing tension within markets, uh, which is pulling the dollar and FX more broadly in two very different directions. Um, on the one hand, you have uh, improving growth in China. We've had our second uh, China growth upgrade uh, in a month from our economists. You've got stabilizing uh, growth momentum in Europe. Our uh, surprise indices, for example, have gone from highly negative close to zero. Uh, and we have a less aggressive Fed um, as well. So all of those things would normally be interpreted as dollar bearish. And then on the other hand, you have, uh, and this is where the tension is coming from, you have rising US yields, uh, both on a real and nominal basis. You've got escalating geopolitics, uh, rising energy prices, um, all of which would normally be considered dollar positive. So, uh, you know, the one question that this does um, lead to is what, what does this mean for the dollar, for individual currencies, for emerging <clears throat> markets? So we'll discuss that. And then the second theme um, that is, I think, worth exploring is just some of the idiosyncratic issues that are showing up in the DM space, particularly within the Euroblock. Um, so we'll get to that um, discussion as well. But let's let's start with EM first, and let's talk about um, this growing tension uh, that that um, I just laid out at the start of this call. Um, Saad, you know, how does this macro landscape really map out for EMFX? And if we think about improving China growth um, and the latest geopolitical developments, what are really the best currencies to think about uh, to position for these dynamics? Sure. Thanks for having me on, Mira. Well, when we think about EMFX, it's really been under pressure since August, early September. And the two main drivers of that weakness in EM currency since then, in our minds, have been, first of all, this relentless rise uh, in U.S. Treasury yields and the steepening of the U.S. curve. And then you had higher oil prices as well. And the uh, higher oil prices, generally now, we think of them as being uh, broadly negative for EM currencies because we don't really have any kind of oil exporting tradable currencies anymore, at least in the liquid space. Even if you think, think of a Colombian peso, its correlation with oil is actually quite low. So generally speaking, then, the higher oil prices meant balance of payments, deterioration and pressures. Uh, especially for emerging Asia. Now, as we got to the start of this month in October, we felt that maybe some of those pressures were petering out a bit and our EMFX risk appetite index was hovering around uh, extreme oversold levels. So maybe for, that was uh, a sign for us that we've priced in a lot of risk premia in EM currencies already. But the last couple of weeks have seen this a geopolitical uh, conflict uh, in the Middle East. That's been another shock, and we still haven't stabilized as far as U.S. rates are concerned. So the overall environment for EM FX has been a testy one for some time now, uh, for the best part of two months. And uh, it's not obvious to us that this environment is going to necessarily undergo an imminent sea change. Now, the two questions that you had asked me, I think they're important both from 
how to think about the geopolitics and the changing China um, kind of dynamics. So first of all, on China, I think it's interesting to note that you know when China was slowing down uh, towards the end of the first quarter, going into the second quarter, uh, and and we had a prolonged period of disappointing data coming out from China since then, the you know the 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 usual suspect currencies that traditionally would be high beta to China um, in in emerging markets, those with high export shares, they never actually weakened all that much. In fact, they were having a pretty good time through the period when China growth was slowing down. And to solve this mystery, all we need to do is actually look at the both the volume and the value of exports of these countries to China. In fact, if whether it's Latin America, whether it's some of these other ones, um, the, the raw material exporters, uh, their exports to China are hovering around uh, record highs. So as far as a lot of those traditional high uh, kind of uh, beta currencies to China were concerned, they never felt the slowdown. And they never felt the slowdown in China because well, you know, China was uh, presumably stockpiling commodities, so the volume of imports was high. Uh, even though you had a bit of a negative terms of trade impact, it really wasn't enough to offset the fact that the volumes were very high. So I think the flip side of that is even as China um, kind of uh, kind of macro numbers seem to stabilize and and bounce a bit from here, uh, I think it's not necessarily going to have much of an impact. Um, uh, simply because that correlation between China's commodity imports and economic activity seems to have broken down a bit. So we're not really trading that as a primary type of uh, driver at the moment. It does have a bit more of an impact for emerging Asia, but emerging Asia for now, I think, is, is uh, for, for, for those currencies, the higher oil prices, higher treasury yields, uh, I think, are going to be much more dominant than a, a bit of a shift in China. So unfortunately for us, I don't think uh, as it stands right now, um, any stabilization um, in China is going to necessarily be a very tradable one as far as uh, the usual suspects in emerging market currencies are concerned. Then we come to the geopolitics. Uh, it's hard to have a base case on this because you know, it's, it's hard, difficult to find precedents. Each conflict uh, has a different nature to it. It could be fleeting, some are longer lasting. But um, ultimately, the way that the conflict in the Middle East, I think, filters out more broadly is via oil prices. It seems oil already has some risk premium embedded in it. Um, so our base case is this: the conflict remains contained. Obviously, the shekel has been the weakest currency uh, in, um, uh, in in EM since the conflict broke out, uh, you know, which is, uh, I guess, what, what one would expect. But uh, for now, I don't think the, uh, the conflict is necessarily going to be um, the main driver for emerging market currencies unless we get uh, oil prices really taking off here. Uh, and that turning, and that would really exacerbate some of the factors I've already mentioned. You know, emerging Asia currencies would suffer from that. Korean one, for example, is is one that we've highlighted as being particularly vulnerable. 
And what about LATAM FX? Now, this um, you know this particular sector has underperformed quite a bit after stellar performance in the first half of this year. Uh, the fundamentals, at least for some candidates um, like Mexico, still seem pretty strong. Uh, where do you come out on this? Do you think investor positioning is still an issue here? So on Latin America, um, I think it was clearly vulnerable to the shift in sentiment that we had starting in August uh, and then through September when we had uh, you know, both these twin shocks of rising U.S. yields plus higher oil prices as well. And then you had alongside that the positioning uh, element as well, which exacerbated some of the some of the moves. As we stand at the at present, I think Latin America is, um, you know, while it was pretty much a one way story in the first half of the year, you know, the entire region, broadly speaking, uh, had very uh, strong total returns. I think it's a more of a mixed outlook uh, going forward. So you have those currencies that have got very high carry, where positioning has been cleaned out, where the balance of payments is very solid. In that category, you have Mexico and you have Brazil. Uh, recently, the Mexican Central Bank, uh, the rhetoric coming out of them has been a little bit more hawkish. So you're looking at a currency that has you know, about a 12% carry. Um, it's uh, for very strong macro fundamentals. It's one of the beneficiaries of some of the geopolitical tensions that are taking place. We're seeing FDI come in as well into Mexico. And some something we've written about in the past that we think Mexican peso is really undergoing a much broader structural regime shift. So now that the positioning there has been cleaned out, now that the uh, valuations are looking more attractive as well, that's one currency which we have maintained a bullish view on. Uh, Brazilian real as well, another one that we are positive on. On the other hand, you've got currencies that I think are uh, a little bit more vulnerable here. The Chilean peso really stands out in Latin America as being one that's going to see a very rapid erosion of carry. Um, the central bank is likely to continue cutting rates relatively aggressively. And in a world where the Fed is keeping things higher for longer, um, that carry differential is really going to weigh on, on the Chilean peso. So that's one that we've been bearish on uh, for some time. Historically, you would, have, you would have expected Chilean peso to benefit from a China uplift. But as I dis discussed earlier, it seems that the China business cycle is not really driving EM currencies or Latin American currencies specifically in the same way that it did in the past. So that's unlikely to be a, a major factor here for Chilean peso. Let me turn it back to you. How do you think these cross currents and this tension is affecting your view more broadly on the on the broad U.S. dollar and on the euro? Sure, Saad. So I'll start with the dollar first, and I think um, you know, looking back to about a month ago when we uh, last wrote our uh, key currency views uh, publication, our motivation for uh, being quite constructive on the dollar was a very clean story. Uh, we had. U.S. exceptionalism, which was clear cut, and we had the dollar, which looked like it wasn't pricing it in. And I think um, those two things have changed quite materially um, in the past uh, month, uh, in the sense that uh, the dollar is more properly pricing it in. Um, 
And I think U.S. exceptionalism on some metrics is starting to fade, although net-net U.S. resilience is still an ongoing theme if payrolls um, um, and the latest uh, data out of the U.S. is anything to judge by. Um, I think even though these two factors have weakened, I think it's still too early to throw in the towel on, um, on dollar strength. Um, you know, for one, um, U.S. rates are relentlessly rising. It's not just about cyclicals. It's about uh, the change in term premium. Um, this has been clearly dollar positive. It's pushing rate differentials in favor of the dollar. It's pushing the fair value of the dollar higher along with it. So to give you an example, euro dollar fair value at the moment, given where interest rates are, is anywhere between 102.50 to 105.50. So that means euro dollar at this point is not really trading at a discount um, at all, despite all the uncertainties it faces. Dollar yen fair value is uh, is also higher than where current price levels are. So fair value of around 153 or so. Um, the other dynamic that's happening is that um, the rise in U.S. rates is tightening financial con conditions in other countries as well. And uh, that's likely to be a bigger um, drag on confidence and sentiment in regions which are already growth challenged, like the euro, uh, for example. Um, and then finally, I would say, you know, the one thing to keep in mind is that the yields equities correlation um, uh, has once again flipped negative. So you're seeing rising U.S. yields and you're seeing uh, weakening equity market sentiment. And um, in other words, if you're, you know, if you're a cross asset investor who typically has equity assets and looks to hedge uh, some of that exposure by being uh, long duration, you don't really have that anymore, uh, that avenue of hedging anymore, which sort of leaves the FX space in particular safe haven currencies like the dollar and the Swiss franc as well as um, as actually the net beneficiaries. And this is basically what we saw uh, last year as well. So net-net, completely agree that I think the landscape is certainly a lot more complicated for the broad dollar direction. But, you know, our conclusion here is that it's still um, it's still um, net dollar, um, net dollar bullish. Um, what to me is more striking here is that usually the combination of uh, rising U.S. yields and improving China growth would actually suggest that, um, you know, would be supportive of the higher yielding cyclical currencies like the ones you mentioned in LATAM. And I think there's, you know, obviously recent price action has not been consistent with this. Perhaps it's a reflection of deleveraging, unwind of FX carry. Maybe there's a skepticism of the durability of China's growth lift. But uh, certainly if incoming data continues to confirm better data uh, out of China, and we get uh, sort of U.S. yields are staying elevated. I think high yielders once again could could start to outperform at least selectively. Um, finally, for euro, clearly negative. I think um, backdrop in my mind. Uh, you've got uh, yes, energy prices haven't gone up a lot, but net net, um, Europe remains an energy uh, importer. So um, you know, if anything, these geopolitical tensions should mean that there should be a discount in the currency. Um, and of course, higher uh, U.S. yields relative to Europe are also problematic. Uh, so to me, it's not just, you know, I, the sort of bearish share of view is not just something that I think of versus the dollar, but I also think of it on a basket basis uh, more broadly, say, versus the Japanese yen, uh, maybe versus some higher yielders um, like um, Canada and Mexico. So overall, um, still still keeping the net um, dollar bullish stance and um, bearish um, euro view here. But uh, you know, speaking of the euro, I think uh, it'll be good here to turn to James. Uh, James, uh, within within the DM euro block, two things are striking to me. 
Um, it seems to me on Sterling, we're really flipping around. We've had a mixed bag of data. We had sticky inflation. It seemed like that that put another hike back on the map for the BOE. Um, but then you had really awful um, data on consumer confidence and retail sales today. So, you know, the first question from my side is, uh, how should we be thinking about Sterling here? And then the second the second part of this is this, this risk outperformance that we've seen in the past weeks been quite astounding. Um, and that's despite the SMB having skipped um, the last hike. So, uh, so what's going on over there and what's the view going forward? Yeah, sure. Uh, thanks, Mira. So obviously, yeah, we had that sticky CPI print on Wednesday in the UK uh, with core and services inflation, both uh, beating expectations. Clearly, clearly, that is a concern for, for the BOE, but um, our UK economist is, is sticking with his call for, for unchanged rates in November, uh, given the weak growth backdrop and uh, moderating wage data. Um, the key for sterling here really is is the labor market, I think, which, uh, along with Sweden, is is loosening at, at the fastest pace in G10. And I think we've reached a point now where the market knows that for every unit of tightening priced in for the UK, you're breaking the back of the labor market even further, which you can't say for the US or Europe, because the labor markets there, at least at the, the aggregate level, still look uh, very robust. So over time, that should start to, to make a dent in uh, in UK inflation and wage growth. And what we've seen this week is, is euro sterling outpacing rate spreads to the upside. Uh, I think part of that is, is the currency stagflationary reaction function from last year making a bit of a comeback around uh, the idea of, of the impact of higher gilt yields on, on growth. Uh, but our, our bearish sterling view is more centered around um, sterling versus dollar and sterling versus Swiss. Uh, we think those pairs are, have better safe haven properties and uh, they're more exposed to to any further sell-off in, in DM fixed income. Um, we'd also know, as you say, Mira, that the, the re retail sales data in the UK, again, stands in in very sharp contrast to, to the retail sales data we saw in the US. Uh, but also, I think some some of the internal rotations that we're seeing in in the UK equity market, uh, where real estate and domestic stocks are, are more sharply underperforming now, um, and that's that's taking cable fair value on our model down to to the one seventeen handle uh, for the first time this year. Uh, next week, obviously, we have the the UK PMIs and and the rest of the employment data, which uh, will be key. Uh, just moving on to Swiss, uh, that I think there's a there's a whole conversation to be had here about uh, the lack of safe haven assets. Um, obviously, given the the sharp sell off in in DM, DM fixed income recently, the idea that that bonds can't really be used as a as a hedge as effectively now, um, and that just the lack of appreciation in yen, obviously, along with that, um, the market really only has. Uh, Swiss dollars and gold as uh, as safe, viable safe haven assets really now. So Swiss, I think, is is benefiting a bit from that. Um, in terms of the data this week, we saw site deposits data from the SMB rise uh, for the fourth week in a row since uh, the dovish surprise from the SMB. Uh, so the suggestion there is that they are taking their foot off the off the intervention pedal a little bit. Uh, but overall, you still have a large current account surplus helping Swiss from a flow perspective. Um, in terms of fair value, we've got uh, Euro Swiss just above uh, 95 on the model. So spot is running uh, somewhat cheap, but we, we think that's more than justified if you think about, obviously, the geopolitical risk premium. 
but also as we said that the lack of, of safe haven assets out there um as well as as the, the growth risks in in Europe which you you mentioned Mira um and if you look at kind of the the broader broader asset classes and the way they're pricing that so you look at European equities this week crossover credit in Europe and periphery spreads uh, you could argue that that's uh, those risks are being being priced in a bit more over the last few weeks and again that just helps uh, Swiss from a from a safe haven perspective Okay, so Constructo on Swiss and um, still a better stance in sterling, uh, net uh, dollar bullish um, and um, euro uh, bearish is, is the conclusion here, it seems. Um, uh, for more information on our views on uh, DM and EMFX, uh, please take a look at jpmorganmarkets.com. Uh, this communication is provided for information purposes only. Uh, please refer to JP Morgan Research Reports related to its content for more information, including important disclosures, 2023 JP Morgan Chase & Company, all rights reserved. This episode was recorded on October 20th, 2023.